0: An explanation of God was written by an eight-year-old child. I'd like to share just some highlights of how this eight-year-old viewed God. This morning we'll be looking a little bit again at a CSI. Today we'll be looking at doubt and how it impacts our lives, but specifically looking at doubt through the eyes of Thomas. And our text this morning will be John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. But an eight-year-old writes, one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that died, so there will be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. I think that's because babies are smaller and easier to make. That way, He doesn't need to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to the mothers and fathers to do. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because he is constantly listening to us. Because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears unless he thought of a way to turn that off. God always sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him very busy. Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work, like all walking on water, performing miracles, healing people, and trying to teach the people who didn't want to hear about God. They finally got tired of him preaching to them, and they crucified him. But he was good and kind, like his father. And he told his father that those people putting him to death did not know what they were doing and to forgive them. And God said, okay. His dad, God, appreciated everything that he did and all his hard work that he did on earth. So God told Jesus that he could come back up into the sky and sit next to him in heaven. So Jesus did. And now he helps his father out by listening to prayers and trying to help people to choose to be good. You can pray anytime you want, and they are sure to help you because they got it worked out. So one of them is always on duty sometime. You could, you should always go to church on Sundays because it makes God happy. And if there's anybody you want to make happy, happy, it's God. Don't skip church or do anything you think that you think is more important and fun, like going to the beach. That is wrong. And besides the sun doesn't come out to the beach until noon anyway. If you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, you'll be very lonely. Because your parents can't go everywhere with you, but God can. It is good to know he's around you when you're scared in the dark or when you can't swim and you get thrown into real deep water by big kids. But you shouldn't just always think of what God can do for you. I figure God put me here and he can take me back anytime he pleases. And that is why I believe in God. Here's our story today. We find out that one of Jesus' closest followers doubted. In fact, his very name was, has become a byword for doubt. When we encounter someone who refuses to believe something, that is true Often we call them a doubting Thomas. You will find the text for our sermon this morning, as I mentioned in John 20, verses 24 to 29. In today's gospel, we hear about one of the most famous encounters between Jesus and one of his disciples, Thomas. And this is following the resurrection. The passage provides us with an important lesson about faith and doubt. We know that we all encounter doubt. How many times in our life do we say, I just can't believe that. I just had that happen this week and I won't take the time to tell you, but just this past week, sometimes just the operational things. You go to the post office, just in a nutshell, you go to the post office and you ask them, I was at a post office in which there was a P.O. box to the person I wanted to send something to in the same post office. I could see the post office box. I handed the letter to the person with postage on it and asked them if they could mail that. Like I was expecting them just to step two steps and put it in the box. They told me, no, sir, that's not enough postage because we have to send it to Cleveland And then it comes back to us, and then I can put it in the box. I just said, (laughs) no. The doubt we have in our system. And today, that is what we are looking at. The doubt. Sadly enough, though, that was, I know, comical and I can get over it. But people today, religion, there are so many people that have doubt with their very own soul and what it may cost them. And that's what we're looking at today. So, this as I said, this passage that we're looking at today is an important message about faith and doubt. As the story goes, Thomas was not with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. My mother always said, see what happens when you miss the party. Notice where the problem first comes in. Thomas is not with the other ones. We don't know why. But I know that sometimes when we're absent for a while, we come back and we may have missed things. So when the other disciples told Thomas that they had seen the Lord, he was skeptical and refused to believe, didn't he? He famously declared that he needed to see the wounds in Jesus' hands and his side before he would believe that Jesus was truly risen from the dead. A week later, Jesus appears to the disciples again. This time, Thomas was with them. Jesus invited Thomas to touch his wounds. And we know that Thomas immediately recognized him as Lord and Savior, declaring, My Lord and my God. What can we learn from Thomas's doubt? and his evidential faith following. We can learn that doubt is not the end of the story. When we have doubts, we should not give up on our faith, or give in, or have despair. Instead, we need to turn to God. In prayer, to ask for his guidance and understanding. We should also seek out the support and encouragement of fellow believers who can help us in our journey of faith. That is why we are encouraged, I believe, to meet every day or every first day of the week. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And the biggest reason for that is the encouragement that we can give one another. We can learn that faith is a gift from God. We must open ourselves up to the possibility of faith And ask God to give us the grace to believe. As we see in Thomas's story, Jesus did not condemn him for his doubts. But instead, he invited Thomas to believe. The story of Thomas teaches us that doubt is a part of the human experience, but is not the end of the story. By turning to God in prayer, seeking out the support of other believers, the opening of ourselves up to faith in God's word, the Bible, it leads us to what we can have a deeper understanding and experience of God's love and grace. The writer of Hebrews warns Christians in Hebrews, back in Hebrews 3 and 12, which we had in our Bible study earlier in the year, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you who of an evil, unbelieving heart Lead you to fall away from the living God. And Revelation declares in Revelation 21 and 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the adulterers, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. People who have an unbelieving heart will end up in torment. I can say that factually. We can read in God's word in various places. There are two places prepared. Jesus speaks of in Matthew 25, parting right and left. Those that go to heaven and those that will go to hell and in torment. People who have an unbelieving heart will end up in torment. So as we have doubt... As we have doubt in 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 confrontation in our lives, sometimes we will have doubt as we read. But may we continue to pray, to read, to study, because we know doubt is not a good thing if it goes uncorrected. Now let's step back for a moment and take a look at Thomas. Thomas is a pretty good guy, I think. In fact, it helps us to know that Jesus prayed all night before selecting the 12 disciples. Thomas made the cut, as we would say. He's a man who shows promise. He's a man who has the ability to believe and to act on his belief. In fact, all the other times Thomas shows up in the Gospels, he looks like a pretty good guy. When Jesus is determined to go to Jerusalem in the midst of the dangerous situation. We can read in John 11 and 16 that Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us all go, that we may die with him. That if Jesus is going to die, let's all go and support. It's all or nothing. And later when Jesus told his disciples that in John 14 and 4, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know the place where I am going. Thomas pipes up and says in verse 5 of John 14, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus responded, verses we all know from 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in in essence, we would say, in Thomas, we have the picture of a committed follower of Christ. He loves Jesus. He walks with Jesus. He's willing to suffer and even die for Jesus, it appears. And then he shows up late to the party after Jesus rose from the grave. The other disciples try sharing their excitement with him, but he's having nothing to do with it. He can almost sense the anger in his voice in John 20 and verse 25 of our text. Verse 25 of our text, you can picture Thomas saying, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Whoa. I will not believe it. No, you could picture Thomas saying, I have my doubts. I'm having trouble accepting it. Not, you're kidding me, right? No. What does Thomas say? I will not believe it. And we have people today that try to modify God's word that say, well, that doesn't apply to us because that was a long time ago. But those are just stories or myths that people say. They will not believe it. The other disciples may have had their doubts until they saw Jesus, but they never said, I won't believe it. It's a dangerous way to deal with God, isn't it? I mean, doubt is one thing, but telling God what we will accept As proof is entirely another thing. We think about the people back in that time. Jesus had uh, led to Herod, Herod begging him to show some sign so that he could believe. Kind of like the rich man in torment begging Abraham or Lazarus that he could go back and warn his brothers. And what are they told? you had the prophets you have been told and warned and that is something that we have to look at our our life today we have to realize that in doubt a lot of times there is turmoil and doubt but we know there is a time coming that God promises us so telling God to come down and settle things on your terms I know it's not a generally good idea so Thomas is being so unreasonable here, you would say. But if Thomas is being unreasonable, why would Jesus either bother even bother showing up? Well, let Thomas put his fingers into the holes in his hands and his side. Why would Jesus show mercy to him when Thomas refused to believe? I think you know the answer, right? We all know the answer. I have the answer. Not really. I don't have a clue. We don't know why Jesus did that. But we do know something. I know that Jesus did show Thomas mercy. And in verse 27 of our text, Jesus did tell Thomas to stop it. What does he say? Stop doubting and believe. We do know that. And I believe this is something that Jesus knew was going to be recorded in God's word for us to read for all ages. There may be doubts. But, CSI, what evidence do we have? In the eyes of Thomas, who stood before of Jesus and the disciples and said, I will not believe. What's his next words? My Lord and my God. We're getting to that. You know what the verses are coming up. Jesus showed Thomas mercy because he put him on notice. Don't push it. Don't don't walk around the edge of faith and gaze down into unbelief, like some people do. Thomas, your very salvation is at risk here, Jesus could be saying. But what is it that Thomas was doubting? He was doubting that Jesus could do what he had promised, that he could raise from the dead. For weeks before this, Jesus repeatedly promised to his disciples, that he would rise from the dead. Matthew 16 and 21 tells us, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, he would be raised again to life. Then in Matthew 17 and 22, Jesus tells them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. And then if we go to Matthew 20 and verse 19, Jesus said again, they will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. So Jesus had made a promise over and over and over again. But seeing how cruel those people were, how just bloodied and suffering that Jesus went through, Thomas refused to believe that Jesus could do what he had promised of raising back to life. He had no faith in Jesus's promise. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus said to Thomas after allowing him to touch his wounds. That is the key, verse 29 of our text. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, us, who have not seen and yet believe the promises. Believe that I was able to come back from the dead, to believe that I am the son of God, to believe that I can fulfill those promises that whoever comes unto me, all the that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst and persecuted for my name's sake. Be thou found faithful unto death that you might receive that crown of righteousness. You know what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to cut some slack here for you, Thomas. But you have to realize that no one, that not everyone is going to get this break. People will have to make up their minds in the future. Now that they have God's word, they have to make up their mind to believe in me without touching my hands or my side. Hebrews 11 and 1, the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And this tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that's Hebrews 11 and verse 6. To have faith, we must be able to believe what we cannot see. And not only that, you not only have to believe that God exists, but that he actually does stuff in our life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is where Jesus heals a boy with an evil spirit. What does the boy's father bring to him and and says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That's what they say to Jesus. If you can, says Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, what does the boy's father say? I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. That is a key verse I'd like to have each of us Remember, Mark 9, verse 24, I do believe. In our response to Jesus and God, may we daily, we will have doubts, but may we remember that verse and recite in our heart, Lord, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. When the father pleaded, help me overcome my unbelief. He was using the same word to describe Thomas's lack of faith. By this time, this man is admitting his weakness. He wasn't saying that he will not believe in Jesus. He's just admitting that he's having a problem. But in spite of his struggle with unbelief, what is he saying? I am a making, I am making a conscious decision to believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. The creator of the Ford Mustang once told a business associate, the trouble with you is that in college, they taught you not to take any action until you had all the facts. You currently have 95% of them, but it's going to take you another six months to get those remaining 5% facts. And by that time... Everything that you have is out of date. Somewhere along the line in our lives, we'll be faced with having a choice. And we'll not have all the information that we may like. But we still need to make a decision. If we always wait till we have all the information, we may never make a choice. Thomas had all kinds of information. We know that he walked with Jesus for three years and had seen Jesus heal hundreds of people by touching them. He saw them feed thousands of people with just a small amount of food. He saw people raised from the dead. He had far more information than you and I have, and yet because he sought that little bit of extra fact, he almost ruined his relationship with Jesus. And at some point along the line in our faith, you and I have to choose to make that choice about following God. We need to choose to believe. Goes way back to one of our favorite verses. Joshua, choose you this day whom you will believe. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have to decide, can God actually do the things that he has promised in our lives? Do we believe in him? An old-time minister told of a time when he had just finished a lecture, a student stood and said, Sir, you seem like a reasonable man. How can you, with your sophistication, really believe in the Bible? The minister replied, it's easy. (laughs) I've decided to. And I have to explain, once I decided to believe in it, I spent the next 35 years of my life accumulating arguments to support what I already believed. But reason only came in afterwards. It only supported what I've already committed myself to do. Then the minister Said in response back to the student, I got a question for you. Why don't you believe in the Bible? Isn't it because you've decided to? Please don't tell me you've read it from cover to cover. Spare me that. And don't give me that jazz that it's full of contradictions because you can't name five contradictions, you can't name four. You can't name two. And he said, no student ever had been able to. Somewhere along the line, he says, you decided not to believe. And after you decided not to believe, you've been accumulating to support your commitment to non-belief. The kid looked at the minister and said, you don't understand For me to believe in God, I have to have a God that I can understand. And the minister replied, God refuses to be that small. And we think about that for a moment. How many people want to modify God's understanding? People will say, where did God come from? That's too much for us to even comprehend. How did God create the entire world? We don't know. But we know it wasn't just a bunch of rocks blowing up and then little single-cell amoeba growing and all of a sudden turning into life. We know it's not that. But that's what the alternative is. And there are many people that will believe that. Or some people just don't care and don't want to know. But when you think about it, God refuses to be that small. Will we understand everything? No, God knows we can't. John, we talk about many times, at the end of John, no, right now many The here, the very end, what's he gonna say? That many things Jesus did, so many that we couldn't record them all. God can't tell us everything because we can't comprehend. What is heaven going to look like? He gave John in Revelation some descriptions. We can't even fathom what those things mean. What's the first thing people say? Revelation is too difficult for me to understand. And that's God trying to describe what heaven's like. So you know what? All Jesus is saying to Thomas is, how blessed you are to believe. He asks us as followers to believe, believe in God's promises. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But he, you know that he probably gave the promise. He goes to prepare a place for us, and that's what we look forward to. Well, we understand? what it looks like no. But may we believe that we can try to get there and try to understand. So that's what we look at. God refuses to be that small. Now, here's the deal. If your God were small enough to understand, he'd be too small to worship, wouldn't he? We serve a big God who goes beyond anything that we can understand or explain. And this is my conclusion now this morning. We have a God who can accomplish way more than we can even begin to imagine in our minds. We need to boldly proclaim that our God can do exactly what he says he can do. Faith can provide a sense of comfort and direction in times of uncertainty or doubt. It can serve as a source of inspiration and motivation, helping individuals to persevere in the face of challenges and setbacks. May we all, like Thomas, open to the possibility of faith, and may we declare with him, with Thomas, my Lord and my God. This morning, that is what we are asked to do, to accept Jesus as God's son, to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of our sin, and to walk in newness of life, being faithful to God's plan and his promises that we might have that way to heaven at the end of our life. Whatever your need is, if you have a need to... Come forward, may you do so as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.